You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. You can turn to Matthew chapter 4 this morning. Man, I love our church. I really love you. Um, You know, as I travel and and I get the opportunity to share different places, uh, I'm always bragging about our church, and I'm not not bragging about our building. (laughs) Um, I'm grateful for our building, but... We're not, I'm not bragging about that church name, but I'm bragging about you. And it's not about our accomplishments or our achievements in the kingdom, but your hearts for the Lord. And it's times like today where we spend time in the Lord's presence and, it, and we're together in his presence. That word together is a word used uh, often in the book of Acts that they were together. In one accord, in one mind, seeking after one thing, Jesus. And so I, I just, man, I love you. I love that uh, we can gather together and understand that it is our heritage to be people of his presence. It is our heritage. You might think, I didn't grow up. My dad wasn't a pastor. My, my parents weren't even believers. How is this my heritage? Well, my dad wasn't a pastor either. But if you've been grafted in, the Bible says that you are now, you've been adopted into his kingdom, into his family. So now the, the, the inheritance of Jesus becomes your inheritance, to be people of his presence. People of his presence. You know, I know, I know people that we seek after all these things in the world and you could have it all, but it means nothing without him. It means nothing without him. In fact, I was reading Mark 8 a couple of weeks ago and Jesus asked this question, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? To have it all, to have everything your heart desires. To see your greatest ambitions accomplished. All of your plans and dreams come true. To be able to control your life. What does it matter if he's not a part of it? If it's not birthed in him, what does it matter? You know, our life is, it's really a multitude of choices, isn't it? We get to choose him. That is what love is. It's, it's a choice. If, you're, if you've been married for any period of time or you've been in any, any sort of relationship with somebody or you have kids, sometimes it's a choice to love people, isn't it? It's not always easy. In fact, Jesus talks about how if we just love those who are easy to love, it's not really, it's not always real love, is it? It's when you love those who are the most difficult to love, that's when our love is really tested. And I'm not always easy to love by the Lord, but he chooses to love me. And I choose him. And your life is a multitude of choices. And so we go through this life and we choose him. We choose him. And what I mean by that is, I'm not saying that our salvation is always on the line. Like every day we need to be worried about whether or not we're losing our salvation. But what I have found is people end up in situations. I have found myself in this this place. I, I, I find myself in this place. I think, how did I get here? How did I get here? I feel like I wasn't here yesterday. But then you can trace your life back. You can trace the different choices back and you find and you find you came to a point where you made a decision and you started to veer a little bit. And then you veered a little bit more and made choices. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you're way over here and you think, how did I get here? We get to choose. And so every day we wake up and we say, Jesus, I choose you. I want you. I want you. There's a reason this song has reigned so true 
in our church, I want Jesus. It's because that, that is the cry of our heart every day. Lord, I want you. I need you. I need you just to need you. Lord, I want you. But we're, it's easy sometimes to justify our actions, our ways of thinking, our compromises, isn't it? Sometimes the most difficult person to be honest with is ourselves. We do this at a young age. My son, he's four, Dean, and I love watching his little mind work at that age. And you're just trying to figure out life. You're trying to, and you want everything to be black and white. Even as you grow up, you want things to be black and white. This is good. This is bad. But if we did that, we wouldn't need the discernment of the Holy Spirit. And so as we grow up in the things of the Lord, we realize that we rely on him. But I remember I was having a conversation with my, my son, Dean. He loves Lion King. He loves that, that movie. And, and in our house, we, it's a topic of conversation often about what, what is it, or what should we put in our minds and in our hearts and what shouldn't we? We're talking about this constantly. Is this something we should really be watching or thinking about? Or, and it, it brings for a lot of good discussion. Well, we were watched Lion King one day, and I'm, uh, there's going to be some spoilers here, but it, it came out in 1992. <laughs> so if you haven't seen it, you had your time. <laughs> and we were watching, uh, or we were talking about The Lion King, and Evie, you know, she's eight, and, uh, she, you know, she's a little quicker because she's eight, and she was talking about, well, man, uh, doesn't Mufasa come back from the dead and talk to, talk to Simba? Isn't that kind of weird, Dad? And I'm like, well, that is kind of weird now that you say it. I said, but maybe it's more like, you know, we're just talking about it. Maybe it's more like the memory of Mufasa lives on in, in the heart of Simba. Maybe it's like that. And then Dean says, well, why does Mufasa live in his heart? Why doesn't Jesus live in his heart? And I said, well, that's a good, that's a good question, son. I mean, I don't, I don't know that the writers of The Lion King were maybe thinking about Jesus when they, when they wrote that movie. And he was sitting there thinking, he goes, so Lion King's not good for God? <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know. If Lion King's not good for God, maybe we shouldn't be watching it. And then you saw the wheels really starting to turn, you know? <laughs> he started thinking, like, I could see it. If I answer this way, <laughs> we're not going to watch this anymore. If I answer this way... And all of a sudden he just goes, well, I don't think God's seen the Lion King. <laughs> He's probably just heard about it. I said, okay, well, I guess you're off the hook then. God's not seen it. Isn't it interesting how even at a young age we like to justify things so that we can still do what we really want to do, what's in our heart to do. But we get to choose. You get to choose. One of God's greatest gifts to us as human beings is the ability to choose. That's why the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil was in the middle of the garden. It wasn't on the outskirts. It was in the middle. So we would always be confronted with choice. And we get to choose. And so I've been asking myself this question. What would I trade for Jesus? If I got those things in my heart that really desired, would I trade those things for Jesus? Would I compromise? If all my wildest dreams came true, would I trade Jesus for that? 
And this is a common choice that the Lord gives us. And we're going to be all over the Gospels this morning, so we're going to get to know our Bibles today. In Matthew chapter 4, we see the temptation of, of Christ. And I'd love to go through this entire thing with you, but we can't. We're just going to hone in on the last one. The, what I will say is Jesus here is tested for 40 days, and he needed to be tested. There's such a contrast between the wilderness and the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, they had everything that they could possibly want, and they still chose wrong. And here we have Jesus in the wilderness with no food, no water for 40 days. And yet he overcomes. And Jesus needed to overcome every temptation that mankind faced so that he could be, as Hebrews said, made, made perfect through his suffering so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for you and me. He needed to overcome every temptation that humanity would face. And so these three temptations are just a culmination of many of the temptations that he endured through those 40 days and beyond. But there's no temptation that you face that Jesus did not overcome. And he has empowered us to overcome as well. So in verse 8 of chapter 4, it says this. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and you worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended. I could really just share the rest of the time on these few verses. But Jesus is tested here. Think about it. He's the creator of the universe. He created it all. John 1 says that in him all things were made. Genesis 1, he spoke it into being. It's all there. And now the enemy is coming and saying, listen, you can have it all. All the riches of this world, every pleasure you could possibly think of, everything your heart desires. But you just have to do this one thing. You just have to bow down and worship me. The devil hates worship to the Lord. He doesn't understand it. He covets the worship. He wants worship. Because worship, like I said before, worship is also a choice. To bow down. He says not just worship, but to bow down and worship. You know, to bow down is an inward reality. It is not just an outward posture of bowing down physically on your knees. Like, I could make you bow down physically. But to bow is, is a place of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. It's a posture of the heart. That's why Philippians says one day every knee will, every tongue will confess, every knee will, or every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord, right? Why? Not because the Lord is going to force them. It's because Jesus will be revealed in his glory, in his fullness. And everyone will see either I was right all along or I was wrong all along. But no matter what, they're going to bow down and declare Jesus as Lord. His kingship will be so painfully obvious to everyone. But the enemy says, just bow down, just worship me. The enemy wants your worship, your attention, your affections, your desires. So would you trade Jesus for all of your heart's desires? And it's a good inventory to do as you spend time with the Lord. What are my desires? What do I want? And are they the Lord's? Are they birthed in a place from him or are they burned in a, uh, birthed in a place in my own heart? 
He wants your affection. He wants your attention. That's why we live in a distracted age. And so Jesus responds from a, a short passage in Deuteronomy chapter six. Let's actually, let's quick turn there. It won't be on the screen, but I want to just read it because it really emphasizes why this is so important. Deuteronomy chapter six. In verse four, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this is the greatest commandment, Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These, these commandments that I have given you are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and you, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God and serve him only. And take oaths only in his name. Moses was saying, this is so important. Like this needs to infiltrate every part of your life. What you worship, you will become. So the songs that we sing, the things that we do, the things that we give our attention to, our, our, our love and our affections to, our desires will lead us. So he says the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He says, talk about it with your kids. Instead of putting live, love, laugh on your wall, <laughs> put love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind. Right? Write it every single place. Put it everywhere as a constant reminder. This is why I was born. To love Jesus. To love the Lord. To love the one true God. This is why I was put on this planet. And everything else flows out of that place. Listen, the devil loves to make promises. And, and really, you, you can have it all. But it will come with a price. And it will never be what it seems. This is what we see in the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, you can be like God. And in, in part, it was true. They gained the knowledge of good and evil. They gained something that God also had, but they didn't have the power, the authority, or the strength to carry it like God did. So the enemy loves to promise things and then he likes to pull up the veil. He loves to say, oh, you, you need this, you deserve this, it's gonna feel really good. You just need to blow off some steam. And then, and then you go through with whatever it is and then, what are you doing? You're such an idiot. How could you, how could you do something like that? He always turns his back on you. It will always come with the price. They're never what they seem. You can have all the money in the world and still be miserable. You can have all the accolades of men and still be lonely. You can have all the power that there is to have and still be afraid because it's nothing without him. 
So I want to ask you, what are your desires? What has your attention? What has captured the affections of your heart? Now turn with me to Luke 18. We have the story of the rich young ruler. The other accounts tell us that he's a young man, and Luke does not. But this is, I find this to be such a sad story because he's not even given a name. He's just a rich young ruler. He's really defined by the things that are important to him. So let me ask you, would you trade Jesus for all of your plans and ambitions? If the world saw you as something significant, if people praised you for all the fame in the world, in Luke 18, 18, it says this, a certain ruler asked him, Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answers. No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All of these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it then asked, well, then who can be saved? Jesus replied, what's impossible with man is impossible with God. Peter said, we've left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters, or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom will fail to receive many times as much in this age or in the age to come eternal life. I love, that's just such a classic response from Peter. Well, we're not like that, right, Jesus? Like, we're, we're doing good, aren't we? I'm, we're really doing good. Aren't we, we fought, remember we did all that stuff? That was awesome, huh? This is one of those times where you see Jesus respond to someone and it seems so harsh. Because Jesus is in fact good. But the young man approaches him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's not asking the question. He's actually asking for validation of his lifestyle. I want to continue living the way that I'm living. I just want you to put your stamp of approval on it. And he says, good teacher. So he wants the Lord to know, like, I see, I, I have a, a good ability to discern. I see that you're good. So if I know that you're good, I, I know everything else. And I really know what's right for my life. Think about this. A young man, a rich, young ruler, intertwined, there are such undertones of, of ambition in this young man. He has so much to accomplish in this world. I want to make my mark. And that's on most of us as we're young. And that's not... If, there's a, if that's an unsanctified thing in us, we need the Lord to crucify it. If it's birthed out of the things of the Lord, it can be a good thing that motivates us to do well. But motivation matters. So Jesus says, no one's good except for the Lord. Do these things. And he says, I are, see, I already do all those things too. Aren't I good? And Jesus says, no, I know where, what actually has your heart, which is what the Lord is after, your heart. 
your heart, before the things that you do for him, before we try to wow him with our wisdom and knowledge, he wants your heart. That's why he died, was for your heart. He says, sell everything you have. It's this idea of complete surrender. This is not a story about how poverty is a virtue. Poverty is not a virtue, wealth is not a virtue. Stewardship is. This is a story about a young man who's got plans and ambitions for his life. He wants to follow Jesus and do his own thing. But Jesus desires purity of heart. So we can look to Jesus as an example for having a pure heart. And what I mean by pure heart, I mean a, a pure heart is that, that which is void of selfish ambition. Purity speaks of overcoming. It sees temptation, it sees struggle, and purity overcomes. It's come, that's what it is to be purified by the blood of Jesus. And this is what we see Jesus. Jesus only did what he saw the, the Father doing, didn't he? This is, what it, this is what it means to be pure in heart. Our motives matter. What has your heart? What, who do you desire to be? I ask myself this question often. Who do I, what type of man do I want to be? When my family's gathered around my, 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 my deathbed, what, do I, what are the words that I long to hear? He was a nice guy. He had a nice boat. <laughs> he probably had a lot of zeros in his bank account. None of that matters. None of it matters. None of it matters. Did, I, did he follow Jesus? Did he serve well? Did he run the race well? I'm actually going to invite my friend Cade Hub to come. I want him to share what the Lord's been doing in his life. He shared this story with me a few weeks ago, and it just so encouraged me. Cade's one of our Chi Alpha students, and what God's doing in Chi Alpha under the direction of Alex and Katie is just amazing. We're on fire students who are surrendered to the ways and the will of God, and that is a recipe for God to do something revolutionary in our world. So. Would you welcome Kate as he shares? Hello, everybody. Um, I think probably part of why Tony invited me to share is because he knows that in many ways, well, Tony's somebody who knows people very well. <laughs> he knows people's hearts very well. Um, so knowing my story, he knows that in many places in my life, I've been like the rich young ruler, and I've been somebody who's had a lot of ambition. Um, and even like, um, yeah, maybe I should just give a little bit of uh, background of like who I am or how I grew up. But I, I came here to Iowa State um, coming to major in industrial design, um, which for me, it was like the fulfillment of a lot of my passions, my natural um, things that I thought God was giving me, gifts that I thought he was giving me, um, and passions that I was running after. Um, and I was, I believed in Jesus, and I like thought I was following God. Um, but as soon as I um, 
hung out with people who actually were giving to God and not just like slapping a Christian label on themselves and calling it good, but actually were like surrendering their lives to God, I realized, oh wow, there's something more, there's something uh, different than I've ever experienced. Um, so God has been gracious in every, every moment where I've been able to um, become poor in spirit and recognize how depraved I am. Like in those moments, he's met me and he's pulled me higher. So that happened my freshman year. Um, and from that point on, I was just like, okay, I'm all in, Jesus, I want you. Um, so, but even from that point on, there has been some mixture of my ambition. So I've wanted Jesus, but a lot of it has been like, okay, I wanna do these big things for Jesus, I wanna do these crazy things, I wanna see the world transform for his name, which are good things, but um, every time I would get in that place, like uh, the early years in college, like he would bring me back to a place of like, why do you want these things? Um, and every time I was in that place, <laughs> he'd show me that it was for selfish reasons, it was for my own ambition. Um, so that got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm not even gonna think about the future then. I'm gonna like fully focus on the now and being faithful now and stewarding these things well now. Um, and I don't even need to think about the future at all because when I do that, it's just seeking gain for myself. And I can't walk with Jesus and seek personal gain, like it's impossible. Um, so every time I'd reach that place though of like, being low in that place, um, I would see that there's more and he'd bring me into more and I'd see, oh wow, God, you really are limitless. There's really no end to you and you wanna transform me. You wanna um, bring me into deeper relationship with you. Um, so it was really just like cultivating that place of hunger um, in the place of trying to be faithful where I was and not like thinking about the future. Um, and that was kind of difficult sometimes because like a couple of my good friends, like my friend Mason, like he got this call from the Lord to go like drop out of school and go like do crazy things in Alaska. And I was like, oh man, like I want to do that. But then I would uh, just go be with the Lord. And he's like, no, there's stuff I have for you here you need to be faithful with. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna stay in that place of not thinking about the future. So that has uh, continued. Um, I'm a senior right now, so this is actually my last semester of school. But last semester, um, it was coming into the end of the semester and I was like, okay, if I'm gonna do industrial design stuff, if the Lord isn't showing me anything else, I wanna be faithful with that. So I should probably get an internship this summer and go all in for it. Um, even though it really wasn't something that I was like super passionate about at that point, um, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go for it. So I spent all of winter break like preparing my portfolio. Um, it's like a compilation of all my design work over the last few years. So I had to make a website, had to do all this work to get all these things together. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm finally ready to start applying for jobs and stuff. Um, and I started doing that. But then as soon as I started that process, 
the Lord showed me, hey, actually, you don't need to do that anymore. Um, put that on pause. I'm going to lead you into something different, something new. And I was like, okay, good Lord. Like, I, I want to do something different, you know? I kind of assumed it meant some sort of ministry thing, uh, but I didn't really know either. Um, but for the next few weeks, the Lord really started speaking to me and preparing me for ministry stuff. Um, but that all came in a place of me not even like seeking after it or expecting it, to be honest. Um, but it was really, really powerful. And he started speaking to me. Um, it, it started this trajectory of him speaking to me more clearly than I had um, known previously. So the end of that week, um, so, okay, there, there's one day where Pastor Adil, who actually, I don't know, you mentioned him, Drew, earlier, uh, he came to Chi Alpha, and um, his message was actually about something somewhat similar. He was talking about, I think it's in uh, maybe Second Kings 4, it's like the, um, the empty vessels, so like the... His point was basically, however many empty vessels are brought, um, the flow of the oil does not end until um, you run out of empty vessels. So the oil is unlimited, but it's like the amount of empty vessels that, um, the amount of total oil totally depends on the vessels, but the oil itself is unceasing. So I was like, okay, God, I feel like this is what you've been doing in me. I feel like you've been pouring your oil out. And actually, it's kind of crazy. The, the day after this, Mel texted me, and she's like, I don't know where you are, Melody, but uh, she's like, I had a vision of the Lord like pouring oil out on your head. And I was like, whoa, okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, so after that message, I just felt like I should get prayer from Pastor Adil. I didn't know why, honestly. I was just like, I feel like I need to get prayer. And then he prays over me, he starts prophesying over me and confirming like all the things that the Lord had been showing me that whole week um, about this ministry call that he was bringing me into, specifically with evangelism um, and kind of being a door to bring people into the kingdom. Um, so, and then I felt like I just got filled with the Holy Spirit even further. So that night I go home, I'm hanging out with my roommates and then I go to sleep and then I have a dream, um, and I've been having dreams these whole last few weeks, but I have a dream, and it's another confirmation of everything the Lord's been showing me. So I get up, um, I'm, I'm woken up at like 3 or 4 a.m., and I'm like, okay, I, I can't go back to sleep right now. Like, the Lord is doing something, and I need to commit myself to it and not just go to sleep and forget about it. So I got up, I started praying, and then immediately the Lord spoke to me. And he said, there's a distinct cry of every Shui to hear the gospel preached in their nation. And I was like, okay, Lord, is this what you've been preparing me for? I, like, I, I knew his voice. And uh, yeah, but I had never heard of a Shui, or I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> so I was happy, though. I was like rejoicing um, because I knew the Lord was doing something. So I knew it was going to be good. Um, but I kept praying, and eventually I just pulled out my phone, and I looked up Shui people. Um, and the first result that came up on Google was a Joshua Project page, which is like basically a Christian database that 
keeps track of unreached people groups, like different ethnic groups in the world that um, either they're, they've never heard about Jesus or there's very few believers. Um, so first page that comes up is the Shui Palong. Um, and I was like, okay, this is weird that this is like the first result on Google, but and I, is, this, is this it, Lord? Like, I was kind of in disbelief, you know? It was almost like too simple. Um, but I was like, okay, I'm gonna keep pursuing these things and see what happens. So from that point on, um, I got a couple contacts from some people who there was some chance that they, just people who uh, were in the general same part of the world <laughs> as the Shui Palong, but like not even in the same country even, but just general same part of the world. So I was like, oh, okay. Uh, so I got two contacts. I call the first guy. He's not even like a missionary anymore. He's been in America for 10 years. He's like an accountant or something. <laughs> I'm like, okay. He didn't have anything to tell me really. Uh, but the second guy I call, and first we really connected, but then it was crazy. He's like, he looked up the same thing I looked up, and he's like, wait, what? These people are the same people that a few months ago, my buddy who's like the missiologist who like knows about all the unreached people groups, he's like, your team should start preparing to send people to these people. The Palong, Shui Palong, the Palong. Uh, and he writes this whole description. He's like, yeah, we need young people who are willing to lay down their lives, basically. And so on the phone, I'm with this guy, and he's like, hold up. Like, my friend was just talking about these people, and we've been praying for these people, like, the last couple months and kind of seeing if the Lord's going to do something. And then you call me. So I was like, okay. It seems like further confirmation. <laughs> so I was in Asia this last summer, basically continuing to pursue those things and be with this team. And... Um, go find the Shui Palong people. Uh, so that was awesome. And that's my plan after I graduate too. I'm gonna join this team uh, and continue seeing what the Lord does. Yeah. Okay, I, maybe I should summarize just a, something though. I feel like, I've been talking for a while, but um, I, I've, I've wanted, I've had these high ambitions. Um, but they've, they've only ever come, the Lord's only ever brought me into more when he's first brought me to a place of giving, giving to him and not asking from him, but just pursuing him and looking to him. And then he leads me higher. So, yeah. I called him this week and asked if he would share. I've been sharing his story as I've traveled some, and I told him, I, the thought occurred to me to not tell him I was going to ask him. <laughs> but I said, I won't do that to you, buddy. Man, what could God do with your yes? You know, the truth is, is not, we're not all going to go to uh, the jungles of Burma. But there's, no, uh, there's nothing that God cannot do with a Yes. His eyes are searching to and fro throughout the earth, looking to strengthen our heart. That's all he is. And so God has sent the nations to us here in Ames, Iowa. He's positioned you in a place in your neighborhood, in your apartment building, in your dorm. That what could God do with your yes if you laid down your plans and ambitions to him? One last one, and then we're gonna close. 
Turn to Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 27. Scott, you can come. Please. Would you trade Jesus if you could maintain control of your life? If you could still call the shots? If he's more of an addition to your life? Many times we want all the good parts of Jesus, but we don't want any of the suffering or difficulties that come with following Jesus. The problem is, is that we are not afforded that choice. In Matthew chapter 27, Jesus is before Pilate. Verse 15, it says this. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas Barabbas, or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. Pilate was sitting in the judge's seat. His wife sent a message. Don't have anything to do with this innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in, in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which one do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they shouted. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? And they all answered, crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they all shouted louder and louder, crucify him. And Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. He is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And he had Jesus flogged and was handed over to be crucified. This is, I mean, this is such a, the contrast between Jesus and Barabbas. Barabbas was a known, says he was a, he was a known criminal, a murderer. Which one do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? And Barabbas represents all of the things of the world, all of our own selfishness, which murder is the, the most selfish act. All the desires of the flesh, which one do you want? Jesus or Barabbas? The choice seems so simple. But it says in verse 18 that he knew it was out of self-interest that they handed Jesus over to him. Jesus was upsetting the order of things. Jesus, they had their systems. I mean, we read, that, read about that when Jesus was cleansing the temple, right? They had all their, 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 their side hustles going. They had the power, they had control. And now all of a sudden, those things were were being shaken by this one, this King Jesus. So much so that they would rather have a criminal than the creator of the world. What a ridiculous choice. The one... Messiah, the one they had been looking for, searching scripture for, was standing right in front of them. And here in Matthew 27 is the culmination of of being confronted with that choice. Choose today. Choose today. Who will you have? Jesus of the world. 
Jesus or your, or your own plans. Jesus or your own ways. Which one do you want? Which one do you want? And I ask myself this question, and I'm asking you today, which one do you want? Listen, I've seen people walk through hell and back rather than surrender the control of their life to Jesus. But it's only a sign of their lack of trust and knowledge in the goodness of God. You can't keep control of your life and have Jesus. He does not give us that option. So what are the things that you're clinging to? What are the things you're trying to maintain maintain control of? For some of us, we can't give up the pain that we are experiencing, the hurt, to forgive. I once was praying for a woman who asked for healing. And before I was gonna get to pray, she said, wait, if Jesus heals me, that means I won't be able to get a disability check anymore. I said, yeah, but you'll be healed. You can go to work. She said, I, I don't know what I would do without my disability check. And so she asked me not to pray for her. I mean, this seems crazy to us, but we make choices like this all the time. Who do we want? Jesus? Or our own ways, our own plans, the ways of this world. Listen, we can look at ourselves and be like, I'm not Barabbas. but it's the little choices we make every single day. Jesus, I want you. I want you. What would your life look like if you weren't distracted? What would your life look like if you had one ambition to please him and him alone? What would your life look like if you gave him complete control of your life? Could we stand... We're going to respond to him this morning. I feel it. I already feel the tug of the Holy Spirit. Some of you in this room, this is the first time you've even been in a church setting in many years. And right now you feel that pull of the Holy Spirit on your heart. He's saying, come to me. Stop wrestling. Stop fighting. Stop lying to yourself. Stop kidding yourself. Come to me. All across this room, just turn your attention to Jesus right now. Give him your full attention. There's nothing else that matters. Nobody's moving around in this place. This is a sacred moment. There's nothing else that matters right now. Just give him your attention. Jesus, search us and know us right now. There's no condemnation. There is no shame in you. And your conviction... Like Cade said, draws us nearer. It brings us closer. It invites us up into something greater than we can imagine. Right now, someone in this room, you're, seeing, you're thinking to yourself, I hate my life. I hate my life. What's the point of this life anyway? And listen, I, that's understandable. As you might look at your life, you're like, man, my life does stink. But I want to offer you something a gift this morning. What if it, your life didn't have to look like what it looks like? What if God was giving you something better? A life of simplicity and love and grace, not one that is continually in crisis and complicated. 
a simple life of following your king, Jesus. And in him, you will have everything that you need. He will satisfy every desire of your heart. And then your desires, or his desires become your desires. Jesus, we turn, we turn to you this morning. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.